Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you turn to turn to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven. And as you are flipping there, uh, just a few uh, announcements and things. So this morning we're going to finish up this series called Good News People uh, that we've been over to, in over the past few weeks. Uh, I'll tell you what the next couple weeks will look like. Uh, and so next Sunday, I know we announced that we will have our senior Sunday where we recognize our graduates. Uh, the Sunday after that is Mother's Day. Uh, so we're excited about that, obviously. Uh, and so I know Paul did announce this, but we are doing uh, baby dedication that day. Uh, one thing that I've learned in church world and really any world uh, is that no matter how many times you announce things, people still miss things. Uh, so we're going to make sure we announce it. We are, and so we need, if you want to uh, uh, participate in baby dedication that Sunday, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Uh, and so that's the second, the ninth. The next uh, Sunday, well, I think is the 16th, uh, Luke Johnson is going to start us in a new series. We're going to do, uh, I told you that I wanted to jump into a book, but because of timing and schedules, things like that, we were going to do a little short series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we're going to start on the 16th of a series through the Holy Spirit. He'll start us, and then we'll finish out May with that series. Then once summer gets here in June, we'll, we're looking at going into the, an Old Testament book uh, for the summer. And so that's what we're going to look like as far as the next couple weeks, next month, if you will, on Sunday mornings. Uh, and so we, we're finishing up this series called Good News People. If you haven't been with us, I'll give you the cliff notes, uh, is that really since January as a church, we've, we've fleshed out, we've talked about what does it mean, what does it look like for us to be gospel-centered or gospel-driven as a church when it comes to our worship services, uh, when it comes to our discipleship within our church, our ministries, and obviously the missions once we go outside these walls. And over the uh, past couple weeks, we've been talking talking about how the gospel isn't just something that we build our church around, and it isn't just something that uh, we share with outsiders, those who don't know uh, the Lord, but it's also the same message that we preach to ourselves. Uh, and specifically, well, how we've talked about it, how we've framed it is, the reason why Paul tells Remind you of the gospel, it indicates to us that we need to be reminded of the gospel and the implications of the gospel because we are prone to forget those things. Uh, we're prone to forget. We don't always wake up in gospel mode. And the things, the kind of examples that we've talked about so far is that Ultimately, we are bombarded by news and social media, and if we're not, uh, you know, not careful, then we will all become Debbie Downers in this world because we're constantly bombarded with bad news and fear and anxieties of what this world, where we're headed, and things like that. And uh, oftentimes, we need to be reminded of the gospel that that Jesus is still on His throne and that uh, His promises still stand true, and they still remain, that there's still hope. And then uh, on another side of that is what we talked about uh, last week, is that uh, oftentimes in our life, we find ourselves in a place that maybe sin as a believer, sin has got us to a place where we are we're sinned actively in our life. Now, it's got us to a place where we're carrying a guilt uh, that, that Christ died for us to free us from. 
uh, that we that the enemy whispers words of guilt and discouragement. Uh, and whenever we find ourselves in those moments, even sin in the believer's life, we need to be reminded of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and that he would receive us back. Uh, and so the past two weeks have been uh, a kind of a preaching of the gospel to ourselves in a very positive sense. We're reminding ourselves that we're children of God, reminding us our, ourselves that we are dead to sin and alive to God. When it comes to preaching the gospel to yourself, there's also a negative tone when it comes to preaching the gospel to yourself. Uh, this morning, what I want to talk about is preaching the gospel to our flesh, our flesh, that old man that we're wrapped up in right now, that, that uh, not fully redeemed part of us, the part that we're ready to get out of this body that's still drawn. And as we just sang the hymn, we're, we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Like we, we, we know that part within us. And so this morning, I want us to talk about how we preach the gospel to our flesh. And we're going to take kind of the, the same uh, uh, layout as we did the past two weeks. We're going to jump into a book in, or a chapter in Romans, spend some time there and a 30,000 foot view, and then we're going to go ground level real quick. So, and this may seem weird to you, but let me kind of show you where my, where, where, how I got to this point. On the evening of our Lord's suffering and sacrifice, uh, or the eve of it, uh, after finishing a meal with his disciples, he went to the garden to pray. And there, when he went to the garden to pray, he took his three trustiest, if that's a word, his, his three closest compadres, disciples, to the garden with him. Uh, and when they got there, he, he asked them to, to stay back and, and to watch and to pray. Uh, and he was going to go in further and pray to his father. Uh, and we, all, we know the story. If you don't, what happened is, is those three disciples didn't prove themselves to be too trustworthy because they couldn't stay awake. Uh, they kept falling asleep. And so in Matthew 26, 41, this is what Jesus says to them. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here in the garden, obviously we know contextually, it was late at night, their, their flesh was tired, it was weak, uh, if you will. Uh, the, and so the reality is, is that I hear Jesus present something for me and you to think about today is that, that for every believer, uh, we still have this same idea where Jesus says, hey, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation because inside of every believer, there's a spirit that is willing, but there's also a flesh that is weak. Uh, for every single one of us, uh, if we could be honest enough this morning to say, yes, there is a spirit that is willing, but at the same time, there's still a flesh that is weak. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of times the flesh seems anything but weak. I feel like the flesh sometimes is very loud and it's, and, and it's desires uh, and things like that. So what is Jesus saying here? Here Jesus isn't speaking of weakness like we think of in terms of strength. If you're taking notes, write this down. I think it's going to come up on the screen. The weakness of the flesh is experienced in the strength of its desires. Uh, let me say that again. The weakness of the flesh, this old man, is experienced in the strength of its desires. It is weak in the sense of its strength to follow God, but it's strong in its sense of the desires that it craves. 
Each and every one of us know that, don't we? Can we be honest enough this morning to uh, say yes? Uh, maybe I'm the only, me and Paul in Romans 7 are the only sinners that are left in this world, I guess. But there's that, that flesh that is weak and that spirit that is willing. So this morning, what I want to do is jump into Romans chapter 7, and I want to answer a couple questions. Number one is, what is the flesh? Maybe you're new to church, and we're talking about flesh and spirit, are we two different people? Are we have multiple personalities? What's going on here? And you're talking about talking to ourselves. Who won't? And anyway, uh, I thought about this morning. It's like, man, these past three sermons, I've been just telling you to talk to yourself. Uh, and then I thought, we talk to ourselves. We talk to ourselves anyway. Constantly, might as well talk to ourselves with the gospel. Uh, but anyway, so uh, what is the flesh? How, why do I still deal with it as a believer? And how do we fight it? So how do we preach to our flesh, that old man that still uh, longs to rebel against God? So in Romans chapter 7, in the first six verses, uh, Paul is introducing to us um, our, our old relationship to what is known as the law and the flesh. And so in Romans chapter 6, we talked about two weeks ago, uh, Paul t- teaches us that we have died to sin. And because of our, we have, we have died to sin through our, our death, burial, and resurrection, being immersed into the finished work of Christ. Now scripture says that we have died to sin. In Romans chapter 7, he teaches us that we've died to the law so that we can belong to Christ. Look at verse 4. It says, likewise, my brothers, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Let's read to verse six. Uh, Verse five says, for while we were living in the flesh, here here he's about to explain to you, uh, he's going to give you a definition of really what the flesh is. When we're talking about the flesh, uh, he he explains it here. Verse five. So while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So what is this flesh? What is this flesh we talk about? Well, verse 5, we can deduce from verse 5 is when he says, while we're living in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. The, the, the flesh is the natural part of man that by nature rebels against the things of God. That by nature, the flesh, this, this flesh that you and I still have, in its own nature, na- naturally, it rebels against God. That's what Paul is teaching here is that when the law there, my sinful passions, they were, my, my, they were aroused when I, when I saw the things of God whenever, God, whenever I was revealed God's law, my flesh naturally rebels against that. It naturally rebels against the things of God. But in verse 6, he tells us what happens in salvation when he says, but we've been released from that. We've, we've died to that which held us captive. So now that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit. So he spends 1 through 6, as I told you, we're going to be 30,000 foot. So he spends 1 through 6 te- te- teaching us our new relationship toward the law and the flesh. What I want you to see really in the next 7 through 14 is that, and it's important for us to catch this this morning and really for the rest of our lives, this, this relationship between the law and the flesh. 
uh, that that is really as simple as this. Here's God's law, and here's God's precepts, and the other side you have the flesh, the natural part of humanity, and we naturally hate that thing. We hate, we, we hate the things of God. We naturally rebel against the things of God. So look at verses 7 through 14 real quick. So verse 7 says, What then uh, shall we say? Is the law, that, sorry, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been from the, for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if, you're, if the law had not said you shall not covet. Check out verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kind of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. <laughs> what, what he's teaching us here, this relationship between the law and the flesh, ultimately in verse 8, the law says do not covet. The flesh says I'm going to covet everything. And that's, that's naturally what Paul is teaching. And we have to see this relationship because the flesh is something we still deal with. But the gospel, and what I want to get to in a little bit, has freed us that now we don't have to be driven by the flesh anymore. But naturally, what, what he's saying here, well, that's exactly what verse 8, the law says don't covet. And so my flesh says I'm going to covet everything. That's the natural response of the flesh to the things of God. Verses 10 11, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. I think Paul wants us in that section of verse 12, because he just began talking about the law of God, that ultimately the law became my death sentence. That apart from the law, I didn't know my sin, but because of the law, I realized or I, my flesh rebels against it. So ultimately, it's leading me to death anyway. And somebody might say, well, was the law a bad thing? So Paul says, no, man, the, the law is holy and it is good and it is righteous. It isn't bad, but because of the flesh, the law is ultimately our death sentence. And so. Verses 15 through 20, here we go. This is, I think all of us are here. Before I read this, and some people think this is Paul. Some people think this is Paul making up a story. Uh, some commentators even think that this is a guy who did it. This is pre-conversion Paul when he's writing through these verses of 15 uh, through 20. But I believe it was, uh, actually, I believe it was a mature believer. Uh, because I can, we can see that there's two things going on. One, there's a, a great desire for the things of God. And through that, he's very aware of his sin, and he's not happy with it. He's not, he's not settled with the sin that's that his flesh. He's not settled. That, for me, that's a mark of Christian maturity. The more that we grow in maturity to Christ, the more disdain I should have for the things of the flesh. Uh, and so that's my take. I'm not Jesus, so I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, check out verses 15 through 20. It says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my, here it is, flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, and, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do 
uh, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells with me. Anybody ever been there before, right? Like, there's a lot of do's in there and don'ts in there, but the reality is if, our, if we really did prayer journals, a lot of times that's exactly what our prayer journals would look like. God, I, I, know, I know this, but I keep doing this. I keep doing that. And if we were honest, uh, so I say, hey, if it's Paul, if it's whoever it is, I'm thankful what's in here. Like, I'm thankful that and I've said this over and over again over the past few months, that I'm thankful that when God chose to write his, reveal his will and reveal his story, he didn't omit the brokenness of humanity. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't just paint this picture of people. Definitely, listen, even, obviously, we can look at the Old Testament saints and realize, hey, they didn't have the Holy Spirit residing in them, so they were going to, they obviously, they were 100% on their own to follow the things of God. Obviously, there were special anointings and things like that, but even post, uh, post uh, uh, the resurrection, the post-Pentecost, if you will, that even, even guys like Peter got messed up with theology and doctrine, that, that Paul, here he's saying is that I know the things of God, but I'm struggling to do them. I'm thankful for Again, that's maybe just me. I'm thankful that the the gospel and, and the entirety of God's scripture that it doesn't omit the weakness of the flesh, uh, but what it does is it it's honest and it points to something greater. So in 15 through 20, we see the, the, the Paul wrestling with this flesh, and I don't have to do a lot of expounding. Ultimately, that within him, uh, there was two things that were going on. There was this flesh that wanted to do the things contrary to the things of God, and there was this spirit that was willing, but it was oftentimes overcome by the flesh, and, and so we see that. It's exactly what he writes later on in Galatians. Verse five, seven, chapter 5, verse 17, and when he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for, those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the reality for us, right? That we know that through the gospel that we have, been, we have died to sin, that we've been made alive to Christ. However, we still have to deal with this thing called the flesh. And I'm thankful that Paul put that in there. So we see him in 15 through 20 wrestling with the flesh. And then we see the flip side of that when we turn to verse 21. And really we see him wrestling in the spirit. He says, so I find it to be the law, to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So at one point he says what? Uh, in verse 17, that is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And now in verse 22, it says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, that there's two things going on here. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin who dwells within me. And then verse 24, he says this, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death. It's believed that what Paul is having in mind here is that there, in, the, in, the, in that time, uh, there was a certain region that the way that they punished criminals, definitely murderers, what they would do is they would take the corpse of the person that they killed and literally tie it to the murderer. 
until that murderer would ultimately die with that body of flesh, that dead man that he killed or dead woman that they killed on them. And so that, that I think that's, that's what many people believe. That's the imagery that Paul is saying here. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This flesh that clings so closely, who will deliver me from it? Lord, I'm thankful that he answers in verse 25. It says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who would deliver me from this body of death that is ever so clinging to me? Jesus will. Jesus is. He will. And here in his mind, I think he's specifically thinking about a future deliverance, that one day Jesus will deliver me from this old body of flesh, this flesh that that is still rebelling against the things of God. Listen to me, child of God. One day the war within will end. Like it will be done. Like one day it will be no more. This, this, this battle against sin, this battle against the flesh has an expiration date. That one day that Jesus will deliver us from this old body that's on us. Romans 8, 23 says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, 4 says, for while we were still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53 says, for while we were still in this tent, sorry, that's a, uh, I posted the wrong one there. 1 Corinthians 15, glad I know where that is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53 says this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Take this out, verse 53. And for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. There will be a day that King Jesus delivers us from this body of death. But look how Paul finishes this section. Because of that reality, he says, so then... I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. What Paul is saying is, I know there there will be a day that King Jesus delivers me from this body of death. But until that time comes, there will be this constant battle of sin and the flesh. That in one side, there will be a part of me that is being drawn and wanting to follow the spirit. But at the same time, there will be a flesh that still is pulling me the other way trying to make me obey its passions. It's exactly what Jesus tells his disciples. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I read this poem in my studies. It says, Offer a new man to arise in me, and that the man I am may cease to be. The Christians say that the new man has already risen within him, but he must also confess that the sinful part of his old man has not yet ceased to be. So what is the good news to that? Keep reading to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Check out verse three, y'all. Don't miss three and four. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I don't even have to explain that. God did what we couldn't do and can't do. So what do we do with that reality? We do as Jesus tells his disciples, we watch and pray that we don't fall into temptation. We are aware that the spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. But listen to me, child of God, we don't just play defense. We don't just play defense when it comes to this flesh. This is, I'm telling you, it's going to be the more than, I've been super encouraging the last two weeks, so here we go. I'm just forewarning you. We don't, we don't play defense when it comes to the flesh and sin. We don't just react afterwards. We go on the offense when it comes to this flesh. Much like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. So if you like points, I try to come up with things that you could remember. Number one, what we do is we take inventory. We take inventory. Mark chapter 7 Dilo, did I give you that? Okay. Mark chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. This is specifically Jesus' words. And so we take inventory. What I mean by that is that we, we examine, we look into our own life and see, is the flesh, am I, being, am I walking by the flesh? And so uh, what are the desires of the flesh? And so uh, Mark seven twenty one says, For from within, out of the heart of man, here we go, here's the desires of the flesh, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, they defile a person. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us a similar list, and I'm going to spend some time on, on these just for a moment. So here's, we're taking inventory. Is this, is this flesh beginning to take root in my life? Am I giving the flesh access into my life? Am I giving it a stronghold? So in 1 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul says the desires of the flesh are. Look in verse uh, 19, or the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That, when he says things like these, what that means is this list isn't exhaustive. There are more things that carry on. But these three or these lists that he gives us of these, these works of the flesh are really three categories. Really the first few are in a sexual category when he says... Uh, uh, the works of the flesh are sexual morality, impurity, and sensuality. That sensuality really means that there's there's no there's no wrong. There's no nothing I can I can do anything that I want to. Nothing is off limits. If my senses desire it, then that's what I go after. 
And so he says the part of the works of the flesh are these things. And oftentimes we, we, we're very well aware of those, right? Like, yeah, duh, those things are sinful. But the reality is for many believers, we, 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 what we do is we develop a theology that, that fits our lifestyle. And we somehow have developed a, that that's okay where he actually says these will not inherit the kingdom. If, if this is the habit of your lifestyle, if this is who you are, then you're not a follower of Jesus, is what he's saying. And obviously you know me well enough to never say that I'm not saying that if you sin, that you're not a follower of Jesus. But there is a line in the sand that we draw. If there is no mark of repentance or following of the Lord, that it is my life to live however I want to, then I would say that is not a biblical conversion that you're holding on to. Right? And so here he says, here's these sexual sins. Then he goes to more of a religious type thing where he says idolatry and sorcery. We obviously, those are very aware, right? Like anything other than gospel, we believe to be false here. That's our stance. But the next group of lists are things that are a little more sneaky, if you will, with the flesh. A little sneaky. And so he says this, enmity. The flesh loves strife. It's jealous. It has fits of anger and burst out in anger. Rivalries. It loves division and dissension. The flesh envies things. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So what do we do, number one, is we take, take inventory. Is my flesh, am I, have I been bowing down to my flesh? Have I found myself, even as a child of God, that I find myself where I can't hold my tongue? That I love the next dirt on somebody. That I can't wait to tear somebody down. That my heart isn't satisfied in knowing who I am in Jesus. That I'm finding, I want this, I want that, I want what they have. And this covetousness that begins to raise up. Are there areas in our life, not just, obviously, if these sexual things and religious things, if those, I'm, I'm calling you to repent of those things, but at the same time, he's saying here, the works of the flesh are also, and I'm a divisive person. That I love anger. I love to get, I get angry often. I love to quarrel. I'm easily offended. I covet what other people have. We take inventory. Number two, we drag that son of the gun into the light. And I'll say this, we're child of God or God will. I do believe that. But what we do is we take inventory and we say, all right, I, I I'm very well aware of my life that I have forsaken my satisfaction or whatever you want to say. I've, I've began to chase fulfillment in other places. And because of that, man, I'm just that, whatever you want to call it. I take inventory. The next thing I do is I drag that thing into the light. Because you know why? The flesh loves darkness. 
Oh man, the flesh loves darkness. And the worst thing that we can do as children of God, who listen to me, who, who Christ has set us free from this flesh. And you know what I'm saying? Like the worst thing that we can do is take these things that the flesh is winning on and keep them in the dark because they will begin to fester. It's that old imagery. Evie now loves to show how to train your dragon. Right. And we have that imagery that that's what we can do with our sin is that we can train this dragon, that we can we can begin to pet it and and we can you know, we can tame it and we can ride on it and it's going to be OK. Listen to me. That's a freaking dragon. It will bite your face off. Right. Uh, it's the same thing uh, with with those crazy people who like to try to tame tigers. Right. They try to tame these dudes and then everything's good till that tiger bites their face off. And everybody goes, hey, you dummy, that was a tiger. Listen to me. It's the same thing with sin. It's a tiger. It's a dragon. We can't pet it. We can't tame it. We can't keep it in the dark because it will devour us. So we drag it to the light. The flesh doesn't like that. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus teaches in John chapter 3, that the light came into the world, but we chose darkness. How do we drag it to the light? We confess it to one another. We go tell somebody, hey, I'm struggling with this. Because a lot of times, we're not strong enough to drag it into the light on our own, but what we need is somebody to come along us and drag us and it into the light. We confess it. So we take inventory, we drag it into the light. Number three, we starve the flesh by feeding the spirit. We starve the flesh by feeding the spirit. What that means is we do not give this flesh an inch because it will take a mile. It's not satisfied with one fit of anger. It's not satisfied with one moment of slipping up. It wants to destroy you, your family, your life. Matter of fact, the imagery that Scripture gives of our, our, our enemy is that he's like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in James, I, I just thought about this, but the imagery that he gives about sin drawing us away, it's literally the same image of as we're fishing and we use a lure Right, some of you don't fish. What you do is you have this thing. It's called a fishing pole, uh, and it's got line in it. And you, you know, if you just want to go zip code thirty-three, there's a button you press, and you throw it out. It hits, and then you have the lure on there, and you're whatever. And the fish thinks it's real, and all of a sudden they, they take a hold of it, and then it's a trick. And that's the same way that the enemy does with our own flesh. He knows our tendencies. Listen, he's not a mind reader, but he, he can watch us. He, he, he senses us, and so he knows our struggle. So if you struggle with this, what he's going to do? He's going to dangle that thing right in front of you. Right? We don't give it an inch. We starve it to death. We starve it to death by feeding the Spirit, by meditating on God's Word. And the gospel. I got to move on. Number four, we preach to our flesh. So we take inventory, we drag it into light, we starve it, and then we go and we begin to preach it to it. That we're no longer its slaves, 
that those who belong to Christ, Scripture says, that they've been, they have crucified the flesh, that we've been crucified with Christ, and my life is hidden in him, that we seek to live in harmony with one another. Check this out. And, and when we begin to think this flesh says, somebody's offended me, and we ask, should I forgive them? We think of the words of Jesus, uh, that we forgive them 70 times 7, or we forgive as the Father has forgiven us. And when my flesh says, I need to do, need this, or I need that, we preach to our flesh that we shall not covet because the Lord promises to give us all that we need. When pride puffs up, we, we preach to ourselves that there's nothing good in me other than Jesus. When it begins to rebel against the Spirit of God, we speak it to submit. We remind that, we're reminded that Christ died to save us from this sin, that we will not let it hinder our relationship with the Lord or our family. We preach to our flesh. We bow up at it, if you will. Number five, and I'm done. The last thing we do is that we walk by the Spirit. Back to Galatians 5. Verse 16 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And here's the promise. Here's the promise. If you walk by the Spirit, here's the promise. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I can say this. I'm going to say it clearly. The Spirit never leads us into sin. Ever. The Spirit will never lead us into sin. But the problem is, is because this flesh that is weak, we can't, obviously I know we can't perfectly obey. We can't perfectly follow. But here's the commission. Let's walk with every day in and day out. We choose to walk by the Spirit. Whenever I get frustrated, when I get offended, I'll walk by the Spirit. Whenever I'm about to bust on somebody or unload on somebody, I walk by the Spirit. I choose to walk by the Spirit. Listen to me. It will never, ever disappoint. Matter of fact, look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, so this would be the fruit of walking by the Spirit, is love, is joy, is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Check this. Against us things there is no law. We walk by the Spirit. So I know that this morning may be a little, little, little much, a little tough, challenging, but I love you too much as your pastor not to teach even the hard things and call us to confront our sin and our flesh. And so for the child of God, here's a part of preaching the good news to yourself. You remind yourself, listen, we remind ourselves that we're children of God. <laughs> we remind ourselves that he's, he's adopted us, it has a purpose for us. In the Ten Commandments, whenever God's telling, uh, actually, let me, let, let's, where's that at? Exodus what? Somebody tell me. I should know that, huh? 20. So I get it right.
shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We've always been taught, like, not to say his name in vain. But for them, names meant a little different. He's literally saying, take on his name. Like, when you take on the name of the Lord, as in when you become his children, uh, as in whenever Ash and I got married, she became a Holofield. Now, she doesn't have a lot of, you know, great things to live up to becoming a Holofield, but... It's just the same idea of taking on that name. And so what he's saying is taking on the name of the Lord and taking on, taking his name in vain. What he's saying is, woe to you who take my name and defame it. Because you're carrying the name of God. And that's the picture. Listen, I want to remind us this morning. Listen to me. Through the cross of Jesus, we have become children of God. But at the same time, we're children of God live like it. That's what I said, all of that to get to. And so we preach to our flesh. Flesh doesn't, it doesn't win. We take inventory, we drag it to light, we starve it, we preach to it, and we walk by the Spirit. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you that you have overcome. God, that you have freed us from this, the power of this flesh over us. God, we thank you for your law that has revealed our sin to us. God, we thank you that your, your son Jesus did what the law couldn't do, and that save us. So God, this morning I pray as a church, God, that we don't let the flesh win because it would destroy everything around us. So God, I pray that in this time, God, that we will move and respond in a way that's honoring to you, the way that you're leading us to respond. God, I pray that we confess where there needs to be confession. God, that we, if we need to go to a brother or sister and say, hey, help me drag this thing into light, God, that today we will mean business. with what you're calling us to do. Father, is anyone in here this morning who has not trusted in you? Maybe they can talk the talk. Maybe, maybe they know the things of God, yet God, you have not saved them. They have not been born again. God, today you'll draw them. God, maybe there's somebody in here who has, doesn't know the talk. They're just here because they thought they showed up, but God, you providentially brought them here because you wanted them here, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. May you give them the faith to believe. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.